What's up, Faith Church? Everybody good today? Man, it has been a good day so far. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, I am so excited to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Before we get started, there are a couple of things I want to make sure I get out there um, because I love two people very, very much. First off, you just saw him, and I just want to put our hands together today uh, because today is Pastor Caleb's birthday, right? So... This is, this is a big one, right? Because today he's 27 on the 27th. How about that? So we love Pastor Caleb, man. Fantastic. Love having him on the team. And if you're in Lawrenceburg, you're going to love having him there as well. The other, the one I'm saving the best for last, as much as I love him, I want to honor my beautiful wife because tomorrow is our anniversary. Yep. So she deserves a medal, y'all, because she has put up with me for almost 18 years Almost 13 of those have been married, so we'll celebrate that tomorrow. So somehow I've, I've held on to that for 18 years. I don't know how that's happened, but um, I've still got the wool like pulled down over her eyes somehow. Um, but it's been a, um, a good start to our day today. But i got to be honest, as we are diving in um, to week two of When God Goes Dark, i got to be honest with you and let you know that this has not been the best of weeks for me. Is there anybody else out there that you've had a rough week? Raise your hand. I'm just curious who is, okay, these are my people that I'm talking to. The rest of y'all, your week's coming, okay? Be ready, because if this wasn't your week, then your week is coming at some point. Um, today we are talking about When God Goes Dark, and I just... This week, my week kind of got started off on the wrong foot, and it happened last weekend, okay? I've been kind of like laying out my week of where did it go wrong, God? Like why? Why did all of these things have to happen? And it started last weekend, all right? I was in Walmart, which is already, already messed up, I know. I was in Walmart, and I'd been working at the house and had some things, you know, I had to run to Walmart real quick and get some stuff for my pool because my pool's decided to lose its mind. And um, so, like, it's one of those last-minute deals, you know. So I'm in, like, flip-flops, shorts, and a tank top, and, like, I'm right into the garden center, and my plan is to come right back out as soon as I go in, okay? And so I get there. I grab the stuff I need. I get up to the little register, you know, and you're sitting there waiting to pay, and... Um, as I'm waiting, there's a guy in front of me, and there's this older lady um, that kind of comes up. She's not old, but she's, you know, late 60s, maybe early 70s. And, like, you can tell um, she's kind of a cool old lady, right? Like, you know, like, you know cool older ladies, and you know, like, not cool older ladies. And so I'm judging this lady because, like, she comes up, and she seems sweet, you know, and I'm sure she is. And she comes up, and she's like, hi. And I'm like, hey, ma'am, how are you? And uh, that was kind of it for a second. And I just kind of on the spot, I was like, she's a cool lady, you know. She kind of has some cool, like, hipster glasses on. I'm like, this, this lady's down with the times, you know. And so I'm sitting there waiting to pay. And all of a sudden, so I kind of turn my body, you know. She's like right here, and I'm getting ready to pay. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear her um, ask me this question. She says, did you regret that? Okay, time out, right? So I'm in a tank top, all right? And uh, you can see a little bit of a tattoo I have on my arm. Well, this tattoo starts above my elbow, and it goes over the top of my shoulder, okay? And so I'm sitting there, and uh, she comes in. All of a sudden, she goes, do you regret that? And in the moment, I was like, no, ma'am, you know, and she, she kind of nodded her head. And by that time, it was my turn to pay, and I go up, and I pay for my stuff, and I go get in my cruiser, and I'm sitting there, and, like, all of a sudden, it hits me. Like, this lady just, like, brain ninja'd me, right? Because I start asking myself this question, like, why would you ask me that? Like, are you asking me that because you're, like, you're not cool with tattoos, so you just wonder, like, I shouldn't have it at all? Or, like, the way she kind of asked it, I started thinking, like, maybe she just thinks it's not good, right? Like, ooh, that's a bad tattoo. Like, do you regret that? Because that's, 
You know what I'm saying? And I was like, because surely she seemed cool. Like, so surely it's not the fact that I have the tattoo. She must be questioning, like, you know, how good is the tattoo? And so I'm like, well, I don't regret it. You know, I'm like, I'm good. I like it. And all of a sudden it hit me. This lady, right, brain ninja'd me into questioning something that I had never questioned before. Right? That's how my weekend last weekend started. All of a sudden my mom like, well, I wonder if other people don't think this is a good tattoo. Because I like it, right? Like, I paid good money for it. Like, it's forever. It don't come off. Like, I'm stuck with it. You know, there's no cover-up for that. You don't cover half your arm and cover it up later. So I'm sitting there, like, thinking this, and it hit me like, man, how much power do we have in the words that we say, right? Has anybody ever, like, said something to you, maybe just a word or a statement or a question, like I got hit with, that, that all of a sudden made you start questioning things that you'd never questioned before? Like, all of a sudden, you're like, well, what about that? Like, I, right? The Bible tells us that's going to happen. Look, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 tells us. It says the tongue, right, the words you say can bring death or life. I think there's a reason that death comes first because it's a whole lot easier to spew death than it is life. So those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And as I started last weekend, it hit me like the words that we say matter. The way that we say those words matters, right? That late, honestly, she may have been the sweetest old lady. She may have thought I had the coolest tattoo she has ever seen in her life. But the way she said it later on just like jumped in my brain and started like wreaking havoc like a ninja, you know? And I'm like, man, how powerful are the words we say? And if that's true for us as humanity, and it is, that I started asking myself as I was preparing for this, question, this series is how much more powerful are the words from God, right? Like if the words we say have power of life and death, then how much more powerful are the words from God? You see, Jesus himself, there was a time where someone started trying to challenge him and trying to make him question who he was and what he believed to make him doubt some things. The difference was that for Jesus, it wasn't a cool old hipster lady in the garden center at Walmart, right? You can read the story, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verses 1 through 4. We're told that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by who? The devil. Satan himself showed up to tempt, to test, right, to brain ninja Jesus, and we're told for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted and that he became very, very hungry. Now, I think that last part of that sentence is there because for us, as we talk about Jesus, I think it is way too easy for us um, as humanity, for us as Christ followers to focus too much on the deity of Christ in as so much as we forget the humanity of Christ, like Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was a man much like you and I, right? Guess what? He got hungry. He was dealing with the same thoughts and the same hunger pains and the same temptations that you and I would, right, had we been fasting that long. And we're told that during that time, during his weak point, the devil himself came and said to him, hey, if, if you're the son of God, just tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, nah, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by what? 
Every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus, as he had been led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he had just come off of his baptism experience. You can read about that right at the end of Matthew chapter 3, the last two verses, and we're told here that Jesus got a word from God. He got a word that he would stand on in the wilderness. And we're told, verse 16, that after Jesus' baptism, he came up out of the water and the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. See, Jesus, as he was being led into the wilderness, he was coming off of an experience where he had just heard audibly the voice of God saying, You are my Son. I am pleased in you. And Jesus was standing on that word because the words that God says have power. Jesus knew he had to stand on that word because I'm here to tell you when you're hearing from God, right? When you got a word, it's a whole lot easier to stand true and to stand confident, right? Has anybody in here ever ever had like a word from God where you just knew this is what I'm supposed to do? Like I know it. And even though when it gets hard, like I'm standing on that word, It's easier to trust God when you got a word. It's easier to trust God when you're in the light. But I think we've all probably lived long enough. If you've been alive for more than a week, right, you realize that it's not always light. It's not always clear. There are times when darkness makes its way in. And I've just got news for you. Even for Jesus, it takes work. It is hard to trust God in the dark. It's difficult to do that. And you see, as you kind of read Jesus at the start of his ministry, right, straight from his baptism, straight into the wilderness, we see him standing on the word of God because he just came out of a light time, a light so bright that we're told the heavens opened and you saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. Man, that'll puff your chest up a little bit, right? All of a sudden, I hear audibly, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There ain't no old lady in Walmart taking me out after that, right? It ain't happening. Satan himself standing before me. You know what? I just heard from God, and I'm standing on that word because I'm in the light. I'm in the clear. I know I heard from God. But what do you do when you haven't heard from God in a while? What do you do when all of a sudden that light starts getting dimmer and dimmer and you found yourself in this place of darkness, right? Where, God, man, I'm not not hearing your word. I don't know what's going on. I thought I did what you told me to, but, but I'm in this place where it's just dark. And that's the whole point of this series. That's why we're going through it. What do you do when God goes dark? As you follow the life and the ministry of Jesus, you see that There came a time in Jesus' life when things got really, really dark. It wasn't always heavens opening and doves descending and audible voices telling Jesus how proud they were. There was a time when things got really, really difficult for Jesus, just like they get really, really difficult for me and for you. We're told that there was a time when Jesus himself was praying in a place place called Gethsemane. And as he's praying there, he knew what was coming, but I'm telling you, there's no way to prepare yourself mentally. Remember, let's let's not get so caught up in the fact that he was God, even though he was. 
He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And there are things that you can be prepared for. There are things that you can know are coming. But when they hit, there's no way you're ready for it. And we're told that as Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, that all of a sudden, there's this guy, one of his closest friends, that he spent over three years of his life with every single day, right? Pouring into him, speaking into his life. And all of a sudden, Judas walks up, right, with a multitude of Roman soldiers and temple guards. When you go back through history and you start trying to do the research to figure out what this looked like, we're actually told many scholars believe that there were between 300 and 600 soldiers that came with Judas on the night that they came to arrest Jesus. So there's no telling what Judas had told Right, the temple guard and the soldiers. He'd seen him walk on water. He'd seen him heal the deaf and heal the blind. He'd seen him walk on water. So, so I think Judas had probably told him, listen, we're going to go get this guy, but I'm here to tell you, it's going to take everything you got to take him. You better send the whole army. So he walks up, 600 soldiers and one of his best friends. And you're sitting there praying and you see someone who, you've spent time with, who you've tried to love, who you've tried to give yourself to, all of a sudden, almost quite literally, you see that person completely stab you in the back, completely turn their back on you. When we talk about what Jesus went through in terms of his sacrifice, we always start later on in the story, but I think you got to spend some time thinking about what was Jesus going through when you're sitting there and you're looking in the eyes of someone who you have loved Why are you doing this to me? What did I do that you would turn your back on me like that? I think many of us in the room have probably experienced that at some point in our lives. You've probably had somebody that you loved, right, that you gave yourself to, that you you were sacrificing yourself for only to see them turn their back on you, right? See, Jesus knows what you feel like. He experienced it face-to-face. We're told that Judas himself came and betrayed Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. As you go through the story, Jesus, it didn't take 600. Jesus freely gave himself. And what happened from there was this domino effect, right, that would take place over a weekend. The soldiers would have bound Jesus. We're told that they blindfolded him so that he couldn't see where he was going. They began to beat him began to punch him in the face, and they were challenging him, saying, hey, if you're a prophet, prophesy. Tell us who punched you. And they beat him as he's on his way to trial, and as he gets to trial in front of the governor, all these people who had been there for him, who, who had followed him, who just days earlier had been singing his praises, were all of a sudden saying these words, crucify him, kill him. Jesus stands there, and after he's sentenced, we're told that The soldiers would have taken him and they would have basically taken and strapped him or chained him to a large stone or a large boulder, a post, and they would have stripped him naked. They would have chained his arms really up high and two executioners, two professional murderers would have taken um, a torture device known as a flagrum and you might have heard it called a cat of nine tails and it's this really long torture device. The handle would have been made out of wood or leather, it would have had really long leather straps coming from it. On the ends of these leather straps would have been 
balls, right, made out of either metal or stone, would have been woven in to the end of this torture device with the sole purpose that as these executioners were taking turns beating the back of Jesus, that these hard balls on the end of this flagrum would have just tenderized the flesh of Jesus' back, much like you would tenderize a steak today. In those balls on the end would have been metal hooks that as the flesh was made tender, the hooks would have sunk deep and that as the executioners hit, they would have ripped out and just tore Jesus' flesh apart. You can read back through history, the brutality of these beatings. There are stories, there are instances where it wasn't uncommon for a man's ribs to be ripped out as the hooks would sink so deep it would literally rip him from limb to limb. These two executioners would have beat Jesus almost into an inch of his life. It was not uncommon for men to not survive this beating. The whole time they're, they're making fun of him in there, making fun of the way he looks. They're making fun of his ministry. You're God, huh? The worst bullying, the worst beating any person in history has ever taken. See, there was a time for Jesus when it got really, really dark. We're told that they fashioned a a crown of thorns. They forced it down onto onto his head so that they would have dug in deep to his flesh. And they would have taken this crossbar that would have weighed well over 100 pounds. And they would have tied his arms to this crossbar right? Dropping it onto the back of his already mutilated flesh. Would have tied it to him and they made him carry his own cross to this place called Golgotha. As he's carrying this crossbar, we're told that at some point under so much pain, under so much heaviness, that there was a point where Jesus himself fell, arms tied, right? No way to catch himself, already beaten to a point that many men would have already died. Jesus himself, tied to this crossbar, fell, and hundreds of pounds of this crossbeam would have landed on his back. You can read medical journals. Scientists have done studies to tell us that this fall, under the Conditions that Jesus was, the weight of this beam being tied to it was the equivalent today of a single car automobile accident without an airbag. That Jesus' face and his chest would have hit the ground at the same intensity that your face would hit the steering wheel if the airbag didn't deploy. To the point that under this fall, the trauma would have been so severe that if he did not receive immediate medical condition, he would immediately die. That's why, as you read through the story of Jesus, the Roman soldiers at that point took the crossbeam off, right? They found this guy named Simon, and they made Simon carry the cross the rest of the way because they didn't want Jesus to die before they got the chance to crucify him. So Simon carries the cross the rest of the way. Jesus, beaten, marred. The Bible tells us that you wouldn't even recognize him to be a man makes his way up as the people are spitting at him and calling him names, makes his way to this hill and they would have laid him down on this cross 
would have taken basically railroad spikes and drove them into his hands and drove them into his feet. They would have lifted him up, dropped it into a hole so that all of his weight would have collapsed. And the amazing thing in this darkest of days is that Jesus is going through these beatings, he's going through this trauma. All these things went down and Jesus never said a word. He was silent. Isaiah prophesied and told us that would be the case in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 through 9. We're told that he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. You see, as they beat him, he didn't say a word. As they plucked out his beard, he held his tongue. As he's on this cross, people mocking him, save yourself, Jesus. We're told that one of the first things that comes out of his mouth is a prayer where he prays to God and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's power in the words that we say, especially in the darkest of times. So as you see all this go down, I have to ask myself the question. Jesus himself told us that that no man can take his life, that he freely lays it down. So how could Jesus freely and willingly give himself into this situation. For you and I, many times the darkness comes out of nowhere, and we didn't expect it, but Jesus walked right into it. How did he do that? Why did he do that? Knowing that God was going to go dark. The simple answer is this. Jesus knew the promise to come. If you have tuned me out at some point in these last 15, 20 minutes, please tune back in because here's the one thing that I want you to hear. When the pain of life becomes unbearable, the promise of God must be unforgettable. That's how Jesus made it. That's how he went to it. When the pain of life was unbearable, the promises of God were unforgettable, and he stood on it. And he said, I've got a word. I don't live by bread alone, and I don't live by the hands of a torturer trying to kill me. I'm going to stand on the word of God. See, you might be here, and maybe you've had a week like I've had. Maybe you've had one 100 times worse. Maybe you've had a year, right, that has just been dark. And you're asking yourself, God, like, why am I going through this? And you may never know why you're going through it, but there are two things you can never forget. You can never forget God's past performance, and you can never forget God's perfect promises. Pastor Steve talked about the first one last week, right? Amnesia is not an option. You have to remember how faithful God has been to you in the past, because his past performance is the best indicator of his future faithfulness. You've got to remember, you can't forget what God has done for you. 
but you also can't forget what God has promised you. There are some perfect promises out there because the words that God say matters. There's some perfect promises out there that you and I have to stand on if we're going to make it through this life in the good times and especially the bad times, especially the dark times. Promises like this, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, So now, because of what Jesus did, because of all that what Jesus went through, now for you and for me, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, God turned his back on Jesus so that he would never have to turn his back on us. As Jesus was going through all that he went through, remaining silent, there came a point on the cross as he's laying there when we're told that Jesus did cry out. Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46. We're told that at noon, darkness fell. It went dark across the whole land until 3 o'clock. But at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When you find yourself in that moment, when you're asking that question, you get to stand on the promise that because of that, there is now no condemnation for you and for me. Because God turned his back on Jesus. He doesn't have to turn his back on us. you got to stand on that. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. See, I'm all about some guardian angels, and I'll take all the protection heaven can get me. But I love the fact that the Bible tells me there are some times when God himself says, you know what? I got this one. I'm going to go ahead of him. I'm going to go before him because he will neither fail you nor abandon you. You see, you don't have to experience whatever it is that you're experiencing alone. You don't have to suffer by yourself. You don't have to fear because God is with you. He'll never leave. You can stand on that, that perfect promise. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I've been standing on this one all week. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi, the same words apply true to us today. It says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, some of you, you're coming up on some dark times financially right now. Some things have hit you out of nowhere. You didn't expect it. The car broke down. This broke down. The house is messed up. All of a sudden, a bill came due, and you don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how this is going to work out, God. Why am I having to face this? If that's you, you get to stand in the darkness on the perfect promise of God that he is going to supply everything you need. You just got to trust him. You've got to remember what he's done for you, and you've got to remember what he has promised to you. Some of you, you're dealing with a dark time in your life where your kids, maybe they're teenagers, maybe they're 
college students, maybe they're grown men and women, whatever the case may be. Your kids are fighting some battles. And in every front that you look out, it looks like they're losing. It looks like you're losing them. And you find yourself, God, why are my kids having to deal with this? Why, why is this addiction taking over? Why have they turned their back on me? Why are they not coming to church? Why do they not want to why do they not want to do the things, God, that I've always taught them to do? Why is it so dark right now? Stand on this promise. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24 and 25 tell us, who can snatch the plunder of war from the hands of a warrior? I love that. Who can demand that a tyrant let his captives go? But the Lord says, right? The word of God says that the captives of warriors will be released and the plunder of tyrants will be retrieved. For God will fight those who fight you. And he says, I will save your children. See, that ground they've lost, that tyrant that you feel like is winning, God says, you know what? I'm going to kill that and I'm going to take back everything they've taken from you because I'm going to save your kids. Some of you need to stand on that promise. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, it's got power. And when you find yourself in the darkest of places, you've got to have a word to stand on, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. Say, no. Man doesn't live by a paycheck or a new car, or a new house, or a nice job, or whatever it is that you throw out there. Man lives by the Word of God, and that's what I'm going to stand on. There are 7,487 promises from God to man in the Bible. Go pick one. Find one that applies to your situation, and when God goes dark, you remember where he has been faithful to you in the past and you stand on the fact that he's promised that he's going to continue to be just as faithful in your future. My favorite one, the one I stand on, and it's the one that we'll start closing it down on. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Ma'am, whatever it is that you need, sir, whatever it is that you're praying for, that you find yourself in the darkest of places, don't you think he's going to give it to you if he was willing to give you his only son? He says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Everybody say, no one. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. You see, Jesus didn't just die for you. Right now, in this moment, the Bible tells us that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you and pleading for you and saying, God, that one's mine. That one's mine. 
We've got to take care of that. I'm going to go before them. Nothing's going to take them away from me. I love verse 35. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Look at what verse 37 says. No. Despite all these things, despite anything that you're going through, some of you are in a really light place and things are clear and you're standing on the word of God right now, but some of you can't see your hand in front of your face because your situation and your circumstance is so dark. The Bible says that because of all of that, despite all those things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. See, this isn't one of those last second at the buzzer, I beat you by one victories. The Bible says overwhelming victory is yours because of what Jesus did. This isn't I made it by the skin of my teeth victory. This is you'd had no business playing the game, devil, victory. Because I'm standing on that promise that this is what my God did. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38 says, and I'm convinced. Some of y'all ain't convinced today. You've got to be convinced like Paul was. He said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. He says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate you from that. There's nothing that can tear you apart from the promises that God has for you. Nothing in all creation. Except one. And that's you. You see, all these promises that we've been talking about, all these darkness fighters that we've been reading about, have you you picked up on the on the the factor that continuously keeps popping up and it's this phrase for those who are in Christ for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ you see some of you are here today and you're trying to fight the darkness without the promises of God and you're trying to take on the powers of hell all by yourself And from the start of this service until right now, we have been doing everything we can to tell you that Jesus died so that you don't have to. Jesus faced the darkest of days so that you don't have to. That victory is yours in him, not in you. He said, I will go before you. The question that you have to ask yourself is are you fighting your own fight or are you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus who said, I'm the one that's going to give you the victory? Where's your faith? What word are you standing on? 
because the only way out of the darkness is Jesus because he himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the light. With every head bowed and every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. Are you in Jesus today? If not, then it's very, very simple. All you have to do is say, God, I can't do it on my own. It is too dark. It is too hard. I need you to save me. I need what you did on that cross to count for me. And I want you to go before me in everything that I do. If that's you and you're here, I want you to raise your hand wherever you're at. To say, God, I need you. I've been fighting it all by myself. And it's time for you to take over because I'm done. I'm done trying to win the battle on my own, God. His hands all over. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Father, I pray for every single hand that is raised in this place, God, and I pray for every single person, God, that, that wasn't sure about raising their hand yet, Father. I know there are people online all over the world right now, God, who are raising their hands, Father, saying, I need you to step in because I am done fighting. Jesus, thank you for what you did on that cross for us. Thank you that in your darkest day, God, you took the brunt of judgment so that we didn't have to, God, that you gave us overwhelming victory, Father. And I pray right now for every single person that just cried out to you to say, God, I need you. God, I thank you that your promise is true, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, we love you. We trust you when it's clear and bright and even when it's dark. We stand on your word and we stand on your name, Jesus, because it is the name that is above every name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I love you. I hope to see you all back next week. Have an awesome Memorial Day weekend. See y'all.